Hello and welcome to A Long Time in Finance with Jonathan Ford and Neil Collins in partnership with Briefcase.News, the service that brings intelligent curation and analysis to your media monitoring. As listeners will know, A Long Time in Finance has been a puzzled spectator of the great crypto phenomenon. Neil still thinks there's something not quite right about paper currency. (laughs) And we'd prefer to go back to the gold sovereign, or perhaps even coloured stones. Very difficult to exchange a gold sovereign for a bunch of fries, but still. So so at the risk of eliciting a volley of I told you so's from my neighbour here, we're going to have a look at the latest crypto drama. And it's a sad tale. Until last week, Sam... Bankman Freed was one of the big beasts of the crypto world with a fortune estimated at $16 billion, most of it tied up in FTX, a large crypto exchange he founded, and a derivatives trading company. Now the 130 companies are all valueless, his own fortune has vaporised, and his honesty is openly being questioned. He's considered a flight risk in the Bahamas, where his empire is headquartered, and was rumoured at the weekend to be planning to flee to Dubai in his private jet. The main virtue of this destination, the UAE has no extradition treaties <laughs> with the US. <laughs> Presupposes he's still got his private jet, of course. Hasn't well, I know, I, see, well, yeah, I agree, I agree. It depends who owns it, I think. So a, a bit of a moment, I think we'll all agree. And, and it comes at a time when... A number of crypto exchanges have been crashing and some currencies also have collapsed. So I thought we'd ask, what does it all mean and where does it leave the crypto world? And to discuss all this, we're joined by crypto expert, digital entrepreneur and all-round financial guru and an old friend of the show, Isabella Kaminska. Hello, greetings. So, so Izzy, where do we start here? Where do what, we start? What just happened? <laughs> I mean, it's all a big mess. It's such a fast-moving story that I'm sure by the time this podcast goes out, there'll be new twists and tales. By and large, we are at an existential point in the crypto narrative. Sam Bankman-Fried, known known as SBF. Should we call him SBF? Let's call him SBF. Can't we call him Mr. Fried (laughs) by name? We (laughs) drop in the frieds, but go go with SBF. bankman Fried. I think that's quite clear. <laughs> it's yes, it's nominative determinism. So yes, there's loads of conspiracy theories traveling around the crypto space, but very briefly, like FTX came almost out of nowhere and became one of the dominant derivative exchanges. SBF founded it in 2019, and I think it was in May 2022 that Mr. SBF was even hosted for an FT uh, lunch, right? So that was the pinnacle moment, oh, I think. In um, well, it's often when side. it all goes downhill. <laughs> could, could, could I just ask a question? This is a crypto exchange. Yes. It's not very much like, say, the London Stock Exchange, is it? What is an exchange in the crypto world? There are all sorts of flavors. I mean, you might remember Mt. Gox. That was the original high-profile collapse back in 2014. It was an exchange run out of Japan, supposedly hacked. We never got to the bottom of it. It collapsed in similar murky um, circumstances, but it was early on. And at the time, I thought that was an existential issue for crypto, but it turns out it wasn't warning enough. And there were continuous exchanges coming up to take over the market share, the the ones that collapsed um, left behind. But around, I would say, 2017, 2018, the big innovation in exchanges was that 
derivative exchanges started to become a thing. All the exchanges before that were mainly focused on spot exchange, which was very complex. Just just an exchange. When, when Neil talks about the, the stock exchange, the stock exchange is simply a venue where people turn up and trade these things. Right. FTX or other thing, other other Binance or all the other ones, there are venues where you can trade it, but they're also custodians where they keep your bit or your token or your coin or whatever it is. Now, that's a very simple model because let's say I put $100 into Bitcoin. I buy from somebody else a Bitcoin and stick it in FTX. It's in FTX. It just moves into my account and Bitcoin goes to zero next Thursday. I've lost my 100 quid. Maybe if all crypto goes to zero, FTX has a problem in that it can't take fees from nothing to pay its wages and salaries. But it doesn't seem that what we're seeing at the moment is very much like that very simple model. It's like everything is collapsing almost like a bank (laughs) and having runs and and confidence crises and huge losses. Because these exchanges are effectively broker-dealer models. So the murkiness comes in the fact that crypto as an asset is very difficult to manage. And so they pool the funds. And de facto, even though you've heard so much propaganda about being your own bank and being in control of your own crypto, the reality is is that if everyone had to operate out of a segregated wallet, there would be no liquidity. So actually, when you take out a account at any of these exchanges, you are de facto funding that exchange and putting your money into a pooled account from which they manage margins, whatever, depends on the model of the of the specific exchange. So the original ones were all focused on spot and there wasn't very much leverage in the early days. But then the derivative exchanges came on the scene around 2017, 2019. What's the purpose of a derivatives exchange so, as opposed to a spot, which just means buying and selling at the price prevailing at the time. What's right. a derivative exchange? So like do? with the CME or any other, you know, commodities are tough to trade physically. So derivatives give you advantage in the sense of liquidity, in the sense of transaction capacity and speed. Crypto is no different because it's really hard to actually, despite all the propaganda, it's actually really hard to exchange because it comes with lots of counterparty risk and hacking risk. So if you're doing a lot of exchanges... And it costs money to um, and actually do that. And it costs money, right. Yeah. So it's there is an efficiency from using derivatives because you then don't have the exposure on the counterparty basis and you can be sure whichever exchange is honoring the trades can step in as an intermediary or, you know, in the case of Bitcoin and crypto... They would do these forced liquidation events if any one of the parties was too much out of the money. But when you talk about leverage, that implies that there's also lending going on here. People are not just paying a dollar for a Bitcoin and then storing it. There's some sort of lending activity going on. So is that is that right? It's no different to say how CFDs operate. So the leverage is in any kind of closed system, you can de facto engineer leverage, providing you can settle these things quickly enough and ensure that things don't go out of the money too much in a market that moves. And the other issue is really the exchanges themselves. Conventionally, you have two models. You have one where you're an agent 
where the broker-dealer is just matching the counterparties together and getting a commission for that match. And the alternative is one where they operate as the principal. And to encourage liquidity, they step in between the counterparties. So the counterpart is trading with the exchange. And they operate as a sort of quasi-market maker. And of course, in that case, in that model, the broker is also taking risk. Mm. Why would they be inclined to do that? Because it adds liquidity and it creates the illusion of tight spreads. They can trade on margin. Exactly. Which gives them a huge new toy to play with. And makes it very exciting. I would have thought it was pretty exciting, judging by what happens to the price of Bitcoin. It's pretty exciting to begin with. But then then again, I'm not the kind of excitable person they're going after. But I still don't (laughs) figure, how is it then? So they are doing a little bit of CFD-like leverage, introducing it into the game to make it more attractive to trade, make it easier and quicker to trade... How then do you end up with these enormous losses? Because people are talking about, you know, and I don't want to go into the details of SBF's little whoopsie on the carpet, but (laughs) people are talking about it having 9 billion of claims and 900 million of assets. I mean, aside from the dread word fraud, how could you possibly end up with such enormous losses? Well, number one, the clue is in the fact that SBF started his own hedge fund, Alameda Research, and that this was a prominent like liquidity provider to the exchange itself, right? So remember the Volcker rule? Remember what it dis- determined? It determined that banks should not be prop trading in their own proprietary systems, right? Because there's a conflict of interest. Now, if you are De facto, I mean, there's no proof. I don't want, I want to emphasize that this is speculation on my part. No but the, proof, listeners. <laughs> but the conflict of interest is obvious. And so if you are not only the counterpart to your customers, but you are prop trading, you might be inclined to take risk that the market might move too quickly, or there might be some sort of Nick Leeson moment where you decide to keep doubling down just to recover a small loss. Before you know it, it becomes a massive loss. It seems to me that the... The temptation to go down that particular route, especially if you think you know better than the market does, you're a market maker or you're an exchange and you think, huh, these people really don't know what they're doing. So we're actually going to trade against their position on our own margin. That seems to me to be a systemic hazard if they are allowed to trade essentially for their own book as well as trying to make a market for the rest of the world. That's exactly the conflict of interest. So the question is, what was really going on behind the scenes? And speculating, the big rout in April 2022 on the back of the collapse of Terra Luna, which we talked about before, chances are they suffered a loss at that point and they were hoping for a turn in the market never came it just kept getting worse and worse so almeda which is the trading bit mm-hmm. might have invested in in a proprietary way in some other coins or yes tokens taken losses and then basically disguise or whatever might have happened but I mean, that's how you end up with the losses in yes. the system a lack of chinese walls a lack of uh, compartmentalization lots of conflicts of interest but also the commingling of customer funds and what what, what like, is interesting about the collapse is the fact that the entire legal department it's not clear who that was apart from sbf's cat <laughs> resigned <laughs> resigned on the day that this whole uh, sort of uh, shit hit the fan and clearly not they, a good so sign. they obviously they obviously didn't want to hang around for the post-mortem yes for whatever reason so i want to pull back from the the minutiae of this to 
if you like, the wider question, which is, we've talked about this before, and you know that Neil and I are probably in the, isn't this slightly reminiscent of something, an acronym yes. SSB, South Sea Bubble. And <laughs> is this, is this well, not the moment in the South Sea Bubble where somebody erects their placard saying a business of great advantage, nobody would know what it is, get their thousand pounds, leg it to the continent at lunchtime. And it's so outrageous that the, basically the punters suddenly realise they've been shafted and they all start selling their South Sea Company stock. I know you've taken the view that the, the investors in Bitcoin are a hardy bunch and they're prepared, <laughs> to, they're prepared to take quite a bit of a pasting and keep the faith. Is this a like that, a, a hinge moment, do you think? I think this is quite an existential moment for the entire industry because it's it's such a spectacular fall. The other aspect of it is that SBF had achieved quite good and favourable coverage in the press. So they're going to be out to get him now too. Whereas I think all the other failures were in the I context the of... Press. Yeah, in the context <laughs> well, everybody of... Everybody else does. <laughs> okay, well, sorry, Ithika. No, the other failures have always been like, oh, we told you so. Whereas here, because, you know, he had managed to somehow woo the collective intelligence of the press into his little bubble, I, th- I think this time might be different. Also, there's this weird... You know, there are a lot of conspiracy theories at the moment with respect to why he was allowed to be so successful. Is it because he was secretly funneling money, crypto Ponzi scheme money into the Democrats because I think he ended up being the second largest donor after Soros. Then there were other conspiracy theories related to his competitor, who is CZ. Well, I was oh. going. I was going to ask: Is the structure of CZ a similar one? The structure. He's a person. Oh, Binance. The structure of his exchange, if that's what we yes, call. Yes. So it is. It is a similar structure. So yes, exactly. if Mr. Fried can melt down. He's the uh, J.P. Overnight. Morgan, yes, right. Uh, what is to stop CZ following him down the drain? Well, it could be a question of what bigger fish gobbling up a smaller fish or, you know, a... Consul- but I thought he'd already rejected the smaller fish on yes, the basis he has, that it was too many but, bones in But it. the customer flow, like, you know, there's still going to be punters out there potentially who, who are not prepared to give up. In fact, he put out a tweet today encouraging the crypto community to, you know, build back better again and not to give up. So he's definitely on the build prowl. Back Build back, build back yeah, crypto great better. Great slogan. I wish somebody else had thought of that earlier. <laughs> it's a long haul. It's not a get rich quick game. Is it? No. <laughs> but, uh, but it's all very yes. well. You can understand him saying, you know, come to me. I'm in great shape and we'll all get out of this together. But if the structure is similar, then what is to stop the same thing happening? Well, it's an offshore exchange. It's equally opaque, I would say. I, I think it's important to stress that since this has all happened, there's been this massive movement of transparency. I don't know if you've seen every exchange out there is doing this proof of reserves thing. So they're all voluntarily. You've got the um, cash. But allegedly, it's also very shades of Repo 105 because they're supposedly borrowing the cash from each other. It's a, it's a hot potato of excess cash going around and they take a snapshot and go, look, hey, we've got the cash. Then the blockchain shows that the money's flowing onto the next exchange that goes, hey, we've got the cash. Who knows if there's a giant deficit the somewhere cash, in the system. The purpose of the cash is that they have made some sort of promise to their customers. I want to come on to the customers in a second that they can sell back their Bitcoin or whatever it is to the exchange, which is going to act as some sort of principle, so therefore has some capital which it can send out to buy back. And uh, they do move the price, obviously, if you, they think it's 
going to be a disaster for them. But anyway, sorry. Yeah, so the clients will have deposits at these exchanges and they expect to be made good at any time. And they don't have sort of any lock-ups. When you say made good, you mean... That well, they just can... capacity to withdraw what they put in and haven't lost... In uh, real dollars. In real in dollars, dollars, yes. So, so to sell back their or crypto, in crypto to... It could be in crypto, in whatever but terms But if they have you... crypto in there, they can turn it into dollars if they want to. Well, is you, that, you is can that have, a promise? You can have accounts in crypto denomination or in dollar denomination, but dollars would be tether dollars, right? So it would be the Mickey Okay, Mac, stable, yeah, yeah, stable so-called stable. Anyway, but I want to come back. I want to come back to... I'm a customer. I'm mm-hmm. a customer of FTX. And I've been trading away quite happily with my little stack of bitcoins or whatever. And all of a sudden, all this thing happens. Dwindling What's stack my, of what bitcoins. Do I, what do I do now? Can, yeah. Am I going to get anything back? Well, you have to figure out. Am I out. just going to have to write off to the administrator, brackets, the man who... <laughs> runs the other. the bankruptcy of Enron. So that's, a, <laughs> that's encouraging. <laughs> Uh, so I presumably just have to put my claim before the administrator and hope there's something left at the bottom of the bucket when everything is... And it could take years. Yeah, well, you might get 10 cents in a tether but dollar back. But do- haven't, we, haven't we just proved that all the regulations which these guys were trying to evade, all the banking and other know-your-client, boring regulations, were actually serve some purpose in the first place you would think making it less likely that you're going to end up in this unhappy situation rather like a mid-19th century bank client but whose I, bank has just gone bust well, i would look exactly. at it i would look at it from the other end from the the you regu- don't want to bail out from the government from the, appalling from that would the regular terrible, terrible optics a, order, order. <laughs> from the regulator's end yeah. the regulator might say I really don't want to be able to regulate this because if I start regulating, somebody further down the line, if it all goes wrong, will say, why didn't you stop this? Yeah. And I want compensation. So what the great really advantage saying, for, the, yeah. for the regulator's point of view, having no regulation, is that there's no way that the liability yeah, the can West. bounce back onto the regulator. And yeah. I think that's quite a powerful yeah, yeah. Uh, And that's one reason the regulators have been hesitating for a long time. And, exactly. and there has been this regulatory uncertainty. Is because and Fried was trying to get them to, exactly. to rally around. Mm. That's one of the conspiracy theories, oh, is no. that, that he was basically creating a concord with the regulators where a gate, as they say, so now that he's big regulations go up so that new players can't come in to challenge him and that's, that's why not, Binance might have had a motivation to uh, but it's not quite the him. same thing as the regulators saying if this goes belly up we are going to find ourselves on the wrong end of those famous American lawsuits mm-hmm. as long as they hold out against regulating it there's no way they can be got at the next thing I want to I want to pick your brains about is which is sort of attached to this is They've proved that you can create in the modern world a mid-19th century bank in some frontier American state which basically can go bust in an afternoon and everyone sits around looking rather sad with singed fingers. But this whole thing, right, this whole crypto thing, surely it must depend on a stream of newbies coming along who think, this looks like a good idea. I'm going to blew my inheritance from Auntie Ada on 
some Bitcoin. And aren't they going to now be a little bit more anxious about whether that's a particularly good idea? And what happens if you don't get... Because the whole idea of this industry, which is why I suppose everyone always thinks of it as a bit of a Ponzi scheme, is that it basically requires an ever wider funnel of money to come in to validate all the iffy bets that have been taken up till now. But to some extent, it depends on whether... Aunt Ada has given you the money or you've stolen it from her. <laughs> if you've stolen it, I you might be prepared market, to that, take the risk. I think in an unregulated market, those issues, that is but, an entirely but, but my, irrelevant issue. My serious point here <laughs> is that a lot of the money is essentially black money in the stuff. It comes from crime. It comes from not arms crime, trading. Neil. It comes from... Well, from. Neil's not wrong, but actually <laughs> there you. is some evidence to say that the crime volumes have now been crowded out by the speculative volumes. I think because... Who provided this evidence? There are lots of uh, agencies like Chain Analysis who spend ages <laughs> scrutinising the blockchain and figuring out where oh, all the flows the go. I think it's a wonderful idea that the, you mean the legitimate uh, investors have crowded out the illegitimate well, ones. The, the legitimate ones who are focused mainly only on speculation and Ponzi dynamics. But, but it's an important point because the blockchain, the transparency of the blockchain does actually hinder the criminal elements. So there are all sorts of, you know, legitimate forms of, of transfers as well as illegitimate ones. Yeah, I think it's worth putting in a word for the bravest country on earth right now, which is our old friends in El Salvador. <laughs> Shout out to El Salvador there. And sometimes known as El Hodlador. <laughs> yes. Hodl means hold on for dear life. Because yes. they are, I think, the only country that I'm aware of that accepts tax payments in Bitcoin. As far as I'm aware, yes, I think that's correct, yes. But, hmm. but to come back to the question, if the supply of newbies diminishes as a result of this, and the hoped-for regulated future, more El Hodladors coming on stream who are prepared to basically accept some sort of payment in this currency, if none of that happens... Is there not a danger that it, this could be a hinge moment in the sense that uh, it yeah, could all I do, I fold do, up on itself? Well, I do think like 99% of this stuff is going to disappear because I don't think... 99%? The and also remember, we're in a rising interest rate environment, which you know, this stuff was born out of QE and out of ZERP, right? It was easy mm. to have all this Zero crazy... Uh, <laughs> crazy okay. sort of speculation. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Crazy speculation when money was cheap. But yeah. now that there's a price on money, this is going to be, be much harder to sustain. So what's the purpose of the 1% that survived? If not, it's not I, would, I, I would say it's less than 1%. It's probably going to be 0.01%. Not, not <laughs> okay, but what's it, what, what's it doing? It's yeah, trying to the change margins, the world. At the margins, there, there are some interesting innovations, but they're very marginal. It's you know I did get persuaded by a few things. like I, I like the perpetual futures, but they're actually not. The what? Sorry? Perpetual futures are an interesting thing that the bit the future is always perpetual these sure. are like uh, trading instruments <laughs> but but, but yes you sure. never settle them uh, they, you they... never settle them but they're very interesting um that innovation sounds... and you uh, can't lose <laughs> well i i'd borrow on that basis yeah. um they're slightly different but I, I won't go into the complexity <laughs> of them but, they, <laughs> but they, and some aspects of nfts are interesting in terms of making ownership of certain watches and you know luxury goods i, I can see some minimal aspects in that 
But what it's about be small. what about so okay that's interesting. But what about I mean your view last time we we had you on you very eloquently explained the kind of incredible amounts of punishment <laughs> the hodlers were prepared <laughs> they to love, take. They love and a bit of down pun- there punishment. in the financial dungeon. <laughs> <laughs> Where they've taken another pasting, thanks to Mr. Fried, SBF. Yeah. You know, what are they? We're now at the point where they are indeed pulling the gag out of their mouths and and (laughs) saying the safe safe word and begging to be cut down. I think we're nearly there. I think the Bitcoiners are going to be the last to drop, but all the other crypto guys, I think, yeah, they're at the limits, aren't they? Okay, Bitcoin the survivor. Price is currently about 14 grand, $14,000 a coin. Price at the end of the year. Up, down? Oh, no, I think it's going down. I think it's going to go as low as about 6,000. Basically back to where we were when the whole pandemic started. So about 5,000, 6,000. Maybe lower. I hate making price predictions because no, I think that's uh, it was a bit of a a very (laughs) unkind question. But can I can I just can I just talk a bit about just one? I don't want to end on the sad note, and (laughs) therefore it's not all doom and gloom. I know what you're going to say. Listeners who've listened to us on then listeners will will remember from earlier episodes we've adopted our own cryptocurrency on this show, which is which is Nibblecoin, (laughs) and so I looked it up. Amazingly, it's still around. <laughs> and it has sailed through all this unpleasantness almost untouched and, and it still and has a market value of $45 which is for all the 269,000 nibble coins in issue so some how does some it currencies how does it compare with when you tipped it it's about the same <laughs> oh, well there you are uh, so you much for being an influencer. It's, it's like a Rip Van Winkle coin. It just sleeps through all this you're horror. No, you're no Kim Kardashian. <laughs> that's all I'm going to say. I, know, I haven't got it to go up. But it hasn't gone down. <laughs> that was A Long Time in Finance with Jonathan Ford and Neil Collins. Editing and production is by Nick Hilton. And our sponsorship partner is Briefcase.News. Join us again next week. Thank you.